There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Book of the Week, what you should be reading. So the question that we're asking on Book of the Week this week is what's the most adventurous and impulsive decision you've ever made? You can, if you're feeling brave, text us to 4001 and we'll read it out live on air. But for now, let's just talk about Lara Pryor Palmer's most adventurous and impulsive decision, which was entering the Mongol Derby at the age of 18. A feat of endurance, which is described as the world's toughest horse race, it it takes place across the Mongolian plains once inhabited by the people of Genghis Khan. And it sees competitors ride 25 horses across 1,000 kilometres. Many don't make it across the finish line. In spite of the odds against her, Lara went on to become the youngest ever champion and the first woman, I believe, to win the race. Rough Magic is the title of her memoir of this extraordinary journey. That is massively summed up, but I'm going to hand over now to our wonderful guests in the studio to elaborate a little bit more about the book. Um, We have Dr. Russell Moulton and Dr. Michaela Greydinger. Mm -hmm. Please correct me if I pronounce it. Is that fine? Um, So... Welcome to the show. You're both veterinarians, so it's nice to have some experienced guests on the show. Also, Dr. Michaela, you've actually participated in the race and you came third the year prior to Lara. Yes, I did. Um, I was really ready for a challenge. I was 39 at that time and I uh, had done so many different things on horseback, but uh, I just craved the lonely, long plains and something uh, being really, really far away from what we know. And I can see that absolutely in that book. Uh, it brought back a lot of beautiful memories, also the, the um, dramas that happen. And it's really, really a wonderful book. Um, so that, that's kind of where I want to start, actually. Um, before we get to into the details of the book and the writing and the author and the race, did you, did you find it an enjoyable read? Me personally? Uh, hello, everybody. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I very much identified, my younger me identified with Lara. Um, I felt sort of similar, I think, when I was through her early stages and probably did some slightly crazy things in my early years like her. So I very much identified with her. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And uh, being involved for a number of years with endurance uh, at a high level here, um, I quite enjoyed the aspects of how she explained and described the horses. So uh, I found it, uh, the journey was very good. Initially, when I looked at it, I was a little concerned looking at the title. Oh, yes, it's going to be another one of these horsey stories about a girl who did amazing things and rode somewhere that was amazing. She was going to describe and, and, and that was it. But no, it really drew me into it. And, and uh, it was there was a lot of prose to it. So some, sometimes it was perhaps a little bit of beyond me. I, I'm a little bit more used to reading uh, veterinary journals. So I did have to go over and, and rethink some of that because I really wanted to identify with her. Um, but I did identify with some of the horses that she rode and, and certainly recognised that and, and, and had quite a good laugh. So I enjoyed the book very much. Yeah, it was more poetic than I expected. Flora, did you find that? I thought so. It's a really surprisingly stylized. I, but it feels like kind of her natural way of speaking it comes across when you first start reading, you think, goodness, this, you know, this is very... Um, stylistic, this is very you know, carefully written prose and you read more and more and you discover that actually this is her voice and I, lo- I, I reading the acknowledgements at the end or I think an interview, she went back to try and expand the emotion in it because she'd been told by her editors that she wasn't emotional enough and I, I do love the, the, the sort of three bits of the book you've got the detail of how the horse race works and I found that absolutely fascinating you've got how she perceives the world and a little bit of your getting to understand of how the world's been perceiving her and all the three come together really beautifully. And I love the characters of each of the horses that she describes. You really feel that that's where her love is. Very much. 
I've explained the the basics of the race. So inspired by Genghis Khan's postal system, it's a thousand kilometers. Um, Could you take us through it in a bit more detail? So basic rules, how many different stations there are. Um, There's a start time and a stop time. You get penalized for going over time. How, How exactly does it work? Well, in the end, um, you have a two days orientation ride when you are brought to the steppe out there and you you mount for the first time these horses that are completely different than any horse that you've ever ridden. They're more uh, half-size, dog-size, kind of really sturdy little uh, half-tamed horses. They live the main lives out on the steppe and breed and uh, are only used if they need them. So they run out with a motorbike and a stick or on another horse with a stick and a rope and then they catch them and it's really like a rodeo to bring them in and to put a saddle on them and that's what we were facing. So some of the horses haven't been ridden in months or have just had the basics and they rather want to graze or be with their partner horses than, than be ridden. So uh, you got to choose your horse well. you got to understand, can that carry you the next 40 kilometers? And that's only the line in air from one auto to the other, from one horse riding station to the other. Um, in the end, you have to uh, circle around um, mountains or past lakes, and it will take you 60 kilometers for the next two to arrive at the next one you have um from seven in the morning till seven at night riding time or depends on the on the year with the sunset so that you don't get into the dark and you have an emergency button because you will be many many times alone out there and if something happens the emergency responders might be four to six hours away there's no helicopters that will take you they will come with a with a truck and will try to do emergency response and take you out if necessary on the truck into the next bigger city where you then fly out to another country to come to a hospital so it is um, unexpectedly wild and um, you ride these horses and give them back. They, they become your partners. They have so many different personalities. You bond with each and every one of them. And like Lara, I named almost all of them myself as well. There was Lenny Kravitz with his <laughs> weird mane. And um, there were the bolting ones where you, you know yourself and you say like, nah. after it bolted, you just ride back to the herders and, and you just say no wrong move, please. And you just run into the next tent with it and just stop it somehow, jump off and say, I can't do that. So there is rules that if you bring your horse to um, in, a, in a not good shape back to the to the vets that you will get um, penalized with time. So you have to sit out and wait um, one hour, two hours and I think I was the, la- the one in that per- uh, the one person in that race that also didn't get any penalty. So you have to really know yourself. You have to ho- know your horse, not to override it, not to injure it, your equipment, that it doesn't do any rubbings on it. So it's it's really good. I think there's some key technical aspects uh, to the race that they, they are very careful about the horse welfare. So mm. every every horse does about 40 kilometers, and some of them, of course, do it at a fair pace. Um, so they have to get back to each vet check and pass the vet check. Their heart rate has to come down. It used to be 64 um, with 45 minutes. It's now 30 minutes uh, down to 56. So they've got very fussy about that. And to be honest, uh, speaking to a, a colleague of mine who, who's vetted it several times, she she said really the people who did better were the ones who had better horsemanship, so the ones who looked after their horses more carefully. They were very fussy about them uh, not looking after the horses. And if they did uh, had three penalties, that was it. The race was finished for them. So 
that is one aspect that they are pretty careful about. Um, before we return to the book, very quickly, the year that you raced, um, mm-hmm. Michaela, that was 2012. Yes. How many started the race and how many actually finished? 35. We mm-hmm. were 34 or 35 and only 16 finished. Oh, wow. And uh, the first ones, and that is also a difference to the book, uh, she says, she even mentions in one of the chapters that the start had been quite dangerous it is like 35 wild horses and people that have never ridden the mongolian horses before with one uh, like gunshot dashing through the through the wild prairie and there is marmot holes everywhere and nobody knows the way really we just dashed through and within the first half hour that we had six major accidents with broken pelvises shoulder blades vertebrae ribs and the people were i've trained months paid so much money to be there and we're out in the first half hour so um yeah Speaking of training for months and paying a lot of money to be there, that's something that we start the memoir with that's quite interesting, that sets Lara um, apart from everyone else who's competing, because it's sort of lastminute.com, isn't it? I think that's part of the fun of it, is she was so grossly unprepared. And I think that appealed uh, almost more, although it was perhaps almost seen as a bit foolhardy. Um, for what she was taking on. Quite gung-ho, really. Very much. You wonder whether if she'd had to do the preparation, she wouldn't have actually done it. You know, it was because it was last minute and almost out of her hands that she threw herself into it so much. I think when they spoke to her afterwards, they said, would she do it again? And I think she said she didn't think she'd be scared enough to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) She was running on fear for most of the preparation time, um, wasn't she? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it sounds like she was just drawn in for the preparation it sounds like the fear came when she first started in it and uh, and uh, she met uh, her her arch rival uh, Devon Horn and and sort of there was a comment a few comments there and suddenly it's like oh dear you know I see she was suddenly a little bit more more so concerned some people have been training for this for the last year and yes. what is that actually going to mean for me I think yeah yeah. It, but I mean, clearly, it, it, you have to obviously have a, a really, really high degree of um, horsemanship and have a lot of experience in the saddle. Did you train heavily, Michaela? I I tried to do as much as possible. I tried to ride as many different horses as mm. possible. I think that was the main thing. And I've done different kinds of riding, from a little bit of endurance training, a little bit of polo, a little bit of western riding. Everything just glimpses, and I think. The broader the spectrum you have, the better. From camping out, from knowing yourself, you're just starting to run around Safa Park, uh, to, to just understand what do you need to eat to feel comfortable, but also your equipment. Mm-hmm. I know my my downturn is always cold. If I feel cold, I free. I, I'm just. I can't stop. I. I, I, I it's not going to go anywhere anymore. So I really paid a lot of attention to warm equipment, warm mm-hmm. sleeping bags, and. Uh, also my nutrition I I really looked a lot about that before the race and that helped me a lot and I think people sometimes only know they have been riding a lot but they don't consider what else is involved that it's really a very broad spectrum that Mm. you need there alone to be alone to and this is such an ambivalence and it comes out in the book so nicely as well you, the first few legs that you do on your own, you were craving for that so much. But the train of thoughts that suddenly come and that you can't stop anymore, the thoughts that bring childhood memories up, the things that you, you f- philosophize about life and it goes on and on. And 
you you crave the next Urtu, but when you're there, you don't like the people anymore. You're like, I want to be alone again. It's a, a really very, very poetic ambivalence that leaves you after the race not being the same person anymore. You started to talk about running, um, actually riding the race and the thought processes of spending that much time on your own with, you know, one thought in your mind, one destination that you had to get to. Um, something that comes up in the book quite a bit for Lara as well is boredom. Did you, did you find yourself getting bored at all? No, not at all. Um, I think it's also not so much the aim to finish it. It's more the different legs to to to, to surround that mountain, to next little step, uh, can I ride this horse? He's a bit crazy. The next step, uh, will I find uh, somewhere to sleep before it's getting dark? Will I stay in the time? So have very little steps that you always think about. And then only as similar to the book, you start reading it and you are slow with reading it, but then you turn one page after the other and you want to reach one urtu after the other, one horse changing station. And then you get drawn into it. But the closer you come to the end of the book and the closer you come to the finish line, the more you think, I actually don't want to finish it. I don't want to stop. I don't. Then it's over. Then it's over to be on my own. And it's over to have this energy from from this beautiful surrounding and that team uh, feeling as well, because you, you don't have to like people, but you care for each other deeply when you see what they're going through and you meet them at different horse stations. So that that is a feeling that you don't want to end and you know exactly. And that's also what she writes. She actually considers just before the finish line not to write to the finish line. And it's exactly that. And it's almost as if towards the end of the book, I was like, actually, I want to know how she ends it. But then I'm like, yeah, but then the book's over. You just don't want to finish. <laughs> so how was reading the book compared to your actual experience of writing? It was very similar, very similar, except that I was so up for a challenge and she wasn't. She was more, um, yeah, out of the spur of the moment in it. And I knew already in the last half year before that I really wanted this. I really wanted to see where are my limits. And she gets to her limits uh, and wasn't really ready for them, but... For me, that was maybe the difference. I really wanted to know where my limits were, and I actually did not get to all of them, <laughs> to some. You were also a little more mature than she was. <laughs> well, 39, yeah. Yeah, it, the fact that she's 18 years yeah. old in the book, I mean, she tries to hide that from people at the beginning, but th- there's, a lot of, there's a lot of judgment from everyone around her, isn't there, at the start? Because they just see a ditzy teenager and then there's a moment I think maybe three quarters of the way into the book where both she and everyone else around her is surprised that she is Mm. passing everybody in the race Um, but it's her rival Devon that kind of really gets that competitive side Mm. of her going again was there we'll talk about Devon in a little bit but was there a did you have a rival when you were racing I have to say it was more I wanted to do it for myself, I got also scared before the race started and I had a long co- phone conversation with my sister and she said, you're not competing with anybody. You are competing with yourself. You want to know what's in you. Do not compete with anybody else than yourself. And that was the best tip I got. And that's what I, how I wrote the race. And in the end, actually, on the last day, um, there was somebody on the race that uh, I had two, three legs with him, uh, riding him with him. And he helped me once or twice out and he got really, really, really sick. 
and he got so sick in the mountains he wanted to ride in the wrong direction he wanted to get off his horse and just lie down and not ride on similar to another story that she had and to to just get him back on the horse and slap him through even though he he could have just pressed his emergency button and and just not finish but for him it was so much more important to finish this race than for me i i didn't want to compete with anybody it was for me important to finish it and the vets at the station said no leave him behind leave him behind you can win this you're just behind the first two I said I thought about it I really at that time it was the last day the last station and I was like either I drag him through or I might want to win it and I thought no whatever comes you never know the others could have gone the wrong way I could have won it but I wasn't in it to win it. I really liked it for this last leg even more. Um, I'm going to read uh, a bit from the back of the copy that I've got in front of me. Um, Lara says, In my recurring Mongol derby dreams, I never win. Often the race doesn't get to the end of itself at all. It's as though the finish isn't the point, nor even Mm -hmm. the direction in which the energy has been thrusting. There's rarely a sequence of one after another. Time and space flex and vanish. Sometimes Devon is on fighting form, way ahead of the pack. Often Devon isn't there at all. And there's elements of what you've just said coming through with Lara. And, and yes, she does get more competitive towards the end because of Devon. But I remember there's a, there's a point where she, it's not even necessarily for her to win. It's more so that Devon doesn't because I think I, could, I don't have the quote in front of me. But she says that there would be something terribly wrong with the world, she feels, if Devon were to win. So, Russell, can you explain a little bit about who Devon is in the book and, and why she frustrates Lara so? Well, I think Devon Horn was the classic, <clears throat> totally organised. I mean, her father, I think, was a, is a US Marine, and she had done the total preparation, going over there with the view that this was a race that she was going to win. Uh, right early on, uh, she mentioned to them and when they'd first met, and I think that's what put some of the others off a little bit, how she, she was going to, if she didn't finish it in six days, she wasn't leaving, you know, the step. So she sort of threw out the challenge early on. And then uh, uh, soon after that, I think at their first meeting, she had made a, a snide comment about uh, the jodpers that uh, Lara had and how she was going to get a large welt and all this sort of competitive stuff that I think just didn't went against the grain for Lara. And so she built up this USA or Texas versus UK type um, barrier, I suppose, if you like, and, and, and drew her as, a, as an arch rival. And, and you see that through the book. She sort of does it. And in some ways, it's perhaps a little unfair because Devon had sensibly prepared herself absolutely to go and, and win the ride. So that was her objective, was to go and take part in the race, but win. Um, without giving too... I don't know if this gives too much away, but can we talk about why you think... Um, why Lara won um, over Devon? I think there is a lot of luck as well mm-hmm. involved. Um, which which horse you get or which you choose yourself because some of them look really, really strong but turn out after 10 kilometers to not want to go on anymore. And then which way you choose, uh, you might get... You want to cross a river that looks safe. And we were told that in the year before me, there was a horse and a rider flushed away by the by the stream and they had to rescue her. There is a lot of... They can trip in the marmot holes. There can be injuries. 
uh, you can never predict it. Which you have so many choices, which ways to go. You don't have to stick to the tracks. Uh, I never stuck to the tracks, so I could have been so awfully wrong and had to go around mountain ranges because I didn't see that where I was going. So I think there is a lot of luck, and she was up for the challenge and. As she evolved in the first two, three days, she didn't even use her GPS. She only rode with others. But then she got the, the she understood more what is involved and she could adjust to the need what is necessary. Bizarrely for me, I, I, I personally, looking back, I think it was the horsemanship that lost Devon the race. She was in there as the competitor. Um, and ultimately, I think she pushed her horses just that little bit too far, and that was that really made the big difference. Ultimately, she had everything in her favour, um, despite the luck and all those extra bits. She was there right through to the end, um, despite having a fall and losing a pony. So, really, where she lost it was that I don't think she looked after them quite well enough at the end and, and obviously just didn't give them that recovery time because it was purely recoveries that, that lost to the race. And one thing I loved in the book was how connected Lara seemed to her ponies, her horses. So, you know, she understood their different characters and there's little conversations that she's having with the mm-hmm. horses as she as she rides along and you did get the feeling that she was, you know, she was caring for them, she was looking out for them, she was seeing where the problems might be. Yeah, and she calls them well her heroes yeah. as well, yeah. <laughs> Russell, having worked on other endurance races, is that they say that this one it puts the um, the endurance and the stress on the riders rather than more than the horses. I mean, how far would you agree with that? Uh, well, it's completely different. I mean, the reality is the advantage those horses have is that that's their natural environment. I mean, the description she has of them jumping the marmot holes. Um, and avoiding them and knowing the ter- terrain and going down certain terrains that you'd look and go, wow, you know, that's impossible. Um, so they had that advantage, I think, the horses, but it was no less tough. I mean, they had to go and perform at a fair speed for 40 kilometres. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, you look and you think of them, a, a rider and a horse as being one, but uh, I think the rider has to work out how to manage the horse preferentially and, and get them to the to the end. So... I don't know that it's particularly harder on a rider. I think, you know, it's just that the horses are in their natural environment. Do you think this is the toughest, wildest race? Well, it's probably tough and and wild because it's a long way Mm. in quite harsh and varied environment. But uh, it depends what what your parameters you're judging it against. You know, if it's uh, the fastest, then, uh, you know, it's probably not. I mean, it's a long time, but remember, each horse only does 40 kilometres. So the toughest, longest, probably for the rider... Yeah. What do you think? I think in in the equestrian world, it's for sure the biggest challenge. <laughs> but it's so nicely brought spectra. That I, it's, it, it involves so many different things. And everybody who even attempts it can be so proud of themselves that they have attempted it. And all the preparation has taught them so much in their lives already. So even if they only prepare and don't do it in the end, Really, I'm I'm proud of everybody that I met and that has attempted it. One of the things that's come up discussing this book is not just the phenomenal journey that she went on, um, but how well it's written. And I've asked a few of you to kind of select a few memorable moments and quotes. So, Russell, what are the, some of the bits that you wanted to point out? Uh, the first one is for the horses, really, because I enjoyed the, the horse side of it and, and really sort of gives a description of the horse that she was riding. It was the lion uh, that she named it, and it was the one she was on actually when she passed um, Devon after she'd fallen off. 
and it's, we bowl on, the lion wants to break into a gallop. I hold him in an oozing canter. On the spread of the step, I've grown used to feeling like an ant making her way through honey. But this horse's movement is aqueous. The land doesn't resist him. There's a wholeness to his wildness, and our going together feels prehistoric. He is free from history, free from country. He doesn't care about the Mongol Empire, nor any empire. For all the empires, horses helped to build and all the land they captured for us, what they really invoke is an opposing set of forces, fleeing, giving away, leaving behind. I am enough as I am, the horse says to herself. So it's just, and, and the whole book is like that. It has these observations that are just beautiful. Um, what are some of the ones that you selected, Michaela? How she describes her surroundings. So I have one that is um, here. A river runs blindly alongside our canter. Trees line the farthest banks. Are they birches, poplars? Why do poplars like to grow in lines? Questions are my line of attack now. Answers, I have none. My legs are stranded in stirrups, my mind in motion. This must be how it is to be water in a river. And, I mean, the the whole book is, is filled with stuff like that. And some of the ones I think you like, Flora, were where she's having conversations with the horses. There are. I, actually was, I was picking something else, actually, which I just felt was about how she is fleeing. One of the things she, she says is she, she's, she's fleeing, she's in flight. And this is when she's just got onto a new horse. Before I'm fully on, we're off, off across the grass, away, away from home, and my family must be stuffed in for sofa breakfast, arguments flying like feathers. With every gather, galloping horse, I get further away. There's no denying I believe I'm coming closer to something too. I don't think it's the finish line, though that's somewhere on the list. Nor does it seem to be Devon, who, of course, is still in the lead. And then about the horse, his determination to hurl on through errors without reason, this I love. His ambivalence towards the marmot holes I like less, but it lets me forget the competition. Makes me remember I'm here for the motion, the thrill, not the thought. So she's got these two different things going on in her mind. She is thinking all the time. It's creating this thought and this memories, but at the same time she wants to escape from it all. So there's this fantastic kind of uh, conflict running right through the book in her emotions and the way that she's approaching it. And you have these lovely poetic moments that you both read out and then these really funny interactions with those around her. Um, there's the moment she tells her parents that she's going to be doing this, that she's going to be racing in the Mongol Derby. She is not going to Mongolia, Julia. Julia, do you hear me? My father had discovered my plan to ride in the world's longest horse race and was insistent I wouldn't go. I listened from the next room as he bellowed at mum in the kitchen. It's too, his foot stomped the floor, opportunistic. Dad had encouraged opportunism in the past, but when it came to horses, he was keen for me to steer clear. He often told people how he'd made it a condition of marriage that my mother give up horse riding. Years after the summer of the derby, I would overhear him shouting at her once more. Lara's been to Stanford University, Julia. I am not having her riding horses. (laughs) And that comes up again and again. And it's just such a varied kind of tone it goes from this wonderful poetry um back to these lovely comedic moments something that comes up again and again is um shakespeare actually and we need to talk very briefly about the title and references to shakespeare's the tempest in the book um did this work for you did it make sense the title the title and the references to the tempest throughout the book uh sometimes i struggle a little bit i haven't read the tempest so (laughs) I did look at it, and, and I, those are some of the moments I had to go over and see actually what she was trying to trying to get at. As far as the title goes, um, it just didn't quite work for me. It wouldn't draw me to it. So if I hadn't handed you a copy of Rough Magic, you probably wouldn't have picked it up off the shelf? No. What about you, Michaela? I would, <laughs> but I was involved, so... Yeah, yeah. okay. 
Yeah, I, I, I think it, it turned out that she just stuffed a, pa- a copy of The Tempest into her backpack for no particular reason, but then discovered that the this is Shakespeare's last play and it is about being cast out into somewhere entirely different. And of course, the magic comes from the magic of the island, um, it, hence the title. And so you can see where the connection comes in. But again, it's I wouldn't have connected that and the title with the book and, and made that connection until I'd read it at all. Um, but I think the subtitle, Riding the World's Widest, Wildest Horse Race, does definitely help. So from a marketing point of view, it's possibly not done it any favours. But from a reader point of view, when you look back and you start looking at the links between The Tempest and everything that she went through, it's quite a poetic thought process. And the book is very poetic, as we've been discussing. So in fact, possibly Shakespearean reference within the title it ties into the sort of quirkiness that, that, that runs right through it. And I think it's uh, like hundreds of years ancient mm. topics that she touches. And in so far, I think Shakespeare fits very well in. Yeah, she she analyzes uh, Genghis Khan. Like you say, she's got time to think. Mm. And so she goes through her childhood. She goes through uh, concepts of empire and colonialism. And she talks about Genghis Khan. And there's not really a subject that she doesn't seem to cover at some point in the book. And it's actually shorter than I expected as well for the amount that she manages to, to cover. Who would you recommend this to? Would you recommend it to people? Yeah, yeah, I think it's more than just a, a, a read for um, people who like horses. I mean, that's the typical thing. You see a horse on the cover often, and you think, oh, there's a, there's a book for someone who likes mm. horses. But no, it's 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 a great journey, and it's a journey about someone who's young and not sure what she wants to do, discovering herself and working her way through a fairly tough challenge and, and coming out the other side. And even the quote she makes at the end and the things she describes at the end, uh, you know, it it's really, really draws you right in. I very much enjoyed it. Anybody who who has had some time to uh, be with himself and have some time to get the trains of thoughts and hold them for a while and let them go again would be interested in that book, I think. And possibly people who don't quite know where they're going and what they want to do because she didn't. And I I, I read it when it first started. I could feel how young she was and it took me back to when I was that sort of age and I did a bit of backpacking around Africa and you get that sort of sense of adventure and not really knowing what you're doing and why you're doing it but you just throw yourself into it anyway Um, and I think that could really capture the imagination teenagers the uncertainty and how young she was really spoke to me and the fact that she didn't have it all together because I think I have read and maybe we've all read too many books um, from the point of view of a Devon not a Lara Um, and I don't want to read from the point of view of someone who's got it all together because, you know, at the end of the day, she goes on this crazy adventure, very ill-prepared, maybe shouldn't, you know, it should come with a don't try this at home, but it does give you hope if you are slightly scatterbrained, like perhaps I am. (laughs) I think also this book will uh, attract people that like people because how she describes people in this book is as good as she describes her horses with all their little... Uh, different angles you can look at people and how you can judge them but then they turn out to be different anyway so the little glimpses you get from people it it was very very nice from that point of view from my point we're gonna have to leave it there thank you so much russell michaela for joining us on the show it's been a privilege talking to you about rough magic by laura Pryor palmer and thank you so much there's just so much more to hear download our podcasts at dubaii 1038.com